Right now, please turn your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, the series is entitled, Growing Closer to God When You're Alone. You know, after 12 weeks of quarantine, stay at home and red phase, Montgomery County has now moved to the yellow phase. And so many businesses, restaurants, day camps, and preschools have the freedom to reopen. Our preschool is opening tomorrow. Our day camp is opening in a week. In Pennsylvania, churches are exempt from red and yellow phase, and we have freedom to be able to worship together. But just because you have freedom does not mean that you will use it. In fact, in fact, some may choose isolation. And God led me to share a story with you about the dangers of isolation. The dangers of choosing isolation. We can learn from Elijah so that we can help ourselves and so that we can help others. In 1 Kings 19, we're going to find Elijah He's alone twice. The first time he is alone under a juniper tree, and the second time he is alone in a cave. And God had a message for him. And I believe that God has a message for us as well. So follow along there in your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll begin reading in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he, Elijah, saw that he arose, and he went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough! Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. It is a dangerous thing to choose isolation. 
Uh, one of our missionaries told me that in the Soviet Union, they did not have freedom to leave their city, even for a vacation. They had to get permission and register with the government to leave the city limits. They were restricted. When the Soviet Union fell in 1991, uh, they were given freedom to travel. They could travel outside the city. They could travel to other cities. They could travel to other countries. Our missionaries' relatives lives within uh, two hours of the beautiful Black Sea. But these relatives never visit. They never leave town except for an occasional funeral. Why? Why? Because they still, to this day, they live under the fear of an old regime that was defeated nearly three decades ago. You know, when Jesus Christ arose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, that first Easter, he defeated our old foe. And he gave us ultimate freedom. Ultimate freedom. We do not have to live any longer under that fear. We are free to live our lives serving Jesus Christ. Now those family members and their neighbors of, the, of our missionary, they have freedom to travel, but they don't. That older generation chooses to stay at home. They choose isolation. Would you agree with me this morning that isolation can be a dangerous decision? It was for Elijah, and it just may become dangerous for you too. Now, 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 if you are sick or if you are high risk category for COVID-19, by all means, by all means, stay home until you feel it is safe. But for everyone else, let's learn some things from Elijah. What happened? Well, on top of Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal cried all day long for fire to come down. Nothing happened to that sacrifice of their own. Uh, but then Elijah prayed a simple prayer. Oh God, oh God, I pray the whole world will know that you're the one true God. And at the end of that prayer, I want you to know the fire fell. The fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. Uh, the fire consumed the wood and the water. And the Bible says it licked up even the dust. And the people cried out, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Well, I guess so. Pretty dramatic. One of the greatest uh, outward displays of God's power in the Old Testament. The 450 prophets were brought down uh, to the bottom of that mountain by the brook. And there, as required by Old Testament law, they were put to death at the hand of Elijah. Now the next chapter begins this way, verse 1 and 2. Here's a sign sealed and delivered first class mail to Elijah from wicked Queen Jezebel. Elijah, I am going to kill you tomorrow. Elijah chose isolation. Why? Well, let me share with you the reasons for choosing isolation. Fear is the number one reason. Fear. He was afraid. Here are two questions to ask when fear comes into your heart. Number one, is the threat real? Is the threat real? Now, for Elijah, what would you say? Would you say yes or would you say no? A messenger brought a letter to Elijah. It had the seal of the king and the queen on it. He opens it. He reads it. It says, tomorrow you're going to be a dead man. Yes, the threat was real. 
Now, I don't know about you if you've ever received anything like that, uh, but I've received a couple of death threats over the years, and you ask, was it real? Well, well, one time, someone actually went to prison for several months for it. Was I fearful? You know, I was more fearful for my family than I was for myself. Now, here's the second question. Is the threat credible? Is the threat credible? Well, for Elijah, again, what would you say? Would you say yes or would you say no? Is the threat real? Well, yes, it was. Is it credible? Well, the threat is coming from a queen who directs the army of Israel, but Elijah is protected by a greater military, a greater army, the army of God, which is the angels. Don't forget Mount Carmel from chapter 18. One prayer and fire came down from heaven. I believe as long as God had a plan for Elijah, he was safe. I mean, Jezebel could have sent a uh, hundred death threat letters. She could have sent a thousand soldiers, but Elijah was safe and secure. And so, in your notes, you see from man's side, the threat was real. But from God's side, well, the threat was not credible. It was not a credible threat. It's not going to happen. And so what happened is Elijah took his eyes off God. Just like Peter. Remember, remember Peter? Uh, Peter, is, he's walking on the water, and he's just having a great time in the middle of the storm. And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he puts his eyes on the storm. And what happens? He begins to sink. And my friend, let me say, every time you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ, and every time you put your eyes on the storm, whether it be a personal storm, a health storm, a family storm, a community storm, a world storm, when you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ and you put on the storm, you're going to begin to sink. You're going to feel it emotionally. It's going to affect you physically. He should have said, hey, God is in control of my life, not Jezebel. I'm going to keep trusting God. And because of an illogical fear, Elijah ran away to hide. Now, is it possible that some in our community, is it possible that some in our church are going to sequester themselves at home because of unfounded fear longer than necessary? Now, again, if you have an underlying health issue, if you have a compromised immune system, if you have a newborn at home, you'll need to be more cautious than the rest. But for everyone else, don't let fear corner you at home. Don't be like Elijah at this moment. Don't want to run away from life. Don't hide from work, from church, from shopping, from restaurants because of fear. You know, there's actually a, a fear that, that describes people who are afraid to leave their home. It's called agoraphobia agoraphobia don't get it here's one anthrophobia the fear of being around people i think i know some news reporters that have that but our faith is bigger than our fears you know the cdc the uh, cdc says that the annual flu killed 80,000 people a year ago and we canceled nothing now, clearly, this virus is, is worse, but in Pennsylvania, more than 68% of COVID deaths are nursing home deaths. That's two-thirds. One week ago, there were 50 COVID deaths right here in this township, Upper Providence Township. All 50 deaths were at the Park House Long-Term Care Facility. Folks who were already sick, folks already elderly, and I know their loved ones miss them and mourn for them, but that's the reality 
of where this virus is dangerous. We never had a quarantine for the annual flu. So let's be cautious, but let's not be fearful. Reasons people choose isolation. The number one reason is fear. Uh, here's another one, laziness, laziness. In verse 3, Elijah, he arose for his life and he, he, he fled, he, he left. He went from uh, being a prophet in the northern kingdom and he ran all the way down south to Beersheba. He's shirking his duties as a prophet. Some people, you know, some people these last uh, two and a half months, they have really enjoyed lounging in their jammies all day long. I mean, the biggest decision early on was, was uh, when do I change from my 8 a.m. jammies to my 8 p.m. jammies? Uh, or you've just said, I, I can get used to worshiping from my living room in my slippers and sipping on my coffee and tea. I know because some of you have told me, really, you're going to tell me? You know, tell an associate pastor, but don't tell me that. Uh, here's Mrs. Jones. Uh, this is not my Mrs. Jones. This is not my mom. Mrs. Jones got a little too used to watching online worship from home and shows up to church with her coffee and her slippers. Now, I, I would say that the second reason for choosing isolation, it's going to be laziness. Now, I rarely find people who are willing to admit that they are lazy. They will say that other people are lazy, but not me. But if you want to stay home from church because it's more convenient, then I need to share some tough love with you this morning. Not only are you being tempted to be lazy, but you would be disobedient to God and you would be stealing a blessing from other people. We don't like to see people going into stores and, and thievery and walking off with big screen TVs. That's thievery but if you stay home from church and you don't you don't come to church you're stealing a blessing from other people you say how can that be hebrews 10 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching what day is approaching that is the coming of jesus for his church in the rapture and if you can't see god is preparing the world for his return you just read Matthew 24. You just pick up any newspaper, any, any newspaper uh, blog over the last three months in the world. It's kind of obvious we're living in the last of the last days. And God says the closer you get to the return of Jesus, and we are the closest of anyone in the church age, the more you are to be committed to the attending and the gathering and the assembling with God's people on God's day. And that's Sunday, first day of the week. Why, why? Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so you know all those one anothering commands we find in our New Testament. You know, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, uh, greet one another, comfort one another. If you're going to obey these one another in commands, then you got to be present. You have to be face to face to do that. So there are two reasons for choosing isolation, fear and laziness. Let me give you a third, and that is pride. Look with me in verse 9 and 10 again. He came unto the cave there at Mount Horeb, and God asked the question audibly, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. 
Can't you hear him just whining to the angel of the Lord? I'm the only prophet left serving God. Everyone else is serving Baal. I'm the only servant of God left in all of Israel, and they want to kill me for that. He repeats it again in verse 14. But you know, God corrects his fuzzy thinking in verse 18. He says, Elijah, I have, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal, and they've not kissed his altars. But pride, pride is the reason people choose isolation. Pride will tempt you to think that, that your way is the only right way. And everyone is not going to see things exactly the way you see them. You've discovered that, haven't you? You've discovered that whatever you believe about the virus, whatever you believe about the protesters, whatever you believe about the rioters, whatever you believe about the regathering of churches and restaurants and businesses, not everybody believes what you believe. Just remember that pride and prejudice are both sinful attitudes. Pride and prejudice are both sinful attitudes. It's possible to be right and also to be wrong at the same time. You say, what do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. Elijah loved God. Elijah served God, the one true God. Look at verse 10. I've been very jealous, not just jealous. I've been very jealous for the Lord God. He said, God, I know I'm right and I know they're all wrong. You see, you can be right, but you can have a wrong attitude. You can be right and have a wrong attitude. So don't stay at home because you may not like every safety measure that a business or a restaurant or a church puts in place. If you do, it's pride. Uh, pride can be an isolator. Let's all guard against pride. The reasons for isolation, fear, laziness, pride, and now the dangers of isolation. The dangers of isolation. We see it in verse 4. It's self-pity self-pity he sits under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die said it is enough now O lord take away my life for i am not better than my father's self-pity will lead you down the wrong path self-pity will magnify your pain and make it bigger than it really is self-pity will give you a victim mentality in life and i'm saying avoid it like the plague the real enemy of society, according to Jesus, is Satan, John 10.10. And so there's only one path of victory over sin, over Satan, over death, and that is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus ruling in your heart, you will find yourself wallowing in self-pity like Elijah. <laughs> Look what he said. He says, I am not better than my fathers. Elijah who said you had to be? Nobody told him that he had to be better than his ancestors. You know, sometimes it's possible to be able to different things in life to put a higher expectation on ourselves than even God. And so if you don't walk in humility every day, our hearts are going to lead us astray and lead us down the wrong path. And so may I just say a word to the kids of leaders, MKs, and PKs, that stands for missionary kids and pastor's kids and deacon's kids. You ever feel like Elijah? You ever feel like saying, everyone's watching me. 
Everyone's criticizing me, my clothes and my posts and my words. I just want to run away and hide. Well, first of all, let me just say this. Thank God if the Lord has chosen to use your parents or grandparents in a leadership role in God's work. Thank God for that. They're not perfect, but you already know that. But so does God. And yet he chose to use them in a leadership role anyways. So, so may I say to the leaders, kids, just live to please God, not people. I've discovered that in, in my heart. If I strive to please God, then I'm good with that, even if it doesn't make everyone else happy. And you can do the same. So the dangers of isolation are self-pity, and two, it's depression. Letter B, depression. Now, what are some things that contribute to depression? We can find it right from the life of Elijah. There are more, but here are some things that, that you need to be aware of. First of all is fear. We've talked about that. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7, great verse to memorize. Uh, your fear is not coming from God. How to get rid of fear, and the answer to that is love. We find that in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Don't you love that? Love moves in, and it casts fear out because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Here's one, loneliness. Verse 3, he left his servant there, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He separated himself from a friend. He separated himself from his companion, his helper. He chose loneliness and depression resulted. How about this? Physically and emotionally exhausted. And all this happened after a great victory. There's an old Greek saying, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. It's really important to, to take a time of break and refreshment and rest and yes, vacation number four unbiblical thinking and this is a key one unbiblical thinking and that's where elijah is you need to see the world from god's eyes and you can't you can't see the world from god's eyes without opening this book and listening and believing and obeying what god says so here it is um, the dangers the dangers of isolation are self-pity depression and that's a dangerous place to be look at the next domino it's suicidal thoughts oh i just want to die god's two greatest gifts are life and eternal life and every person is a one-of-a-kind special limited edition created in the image of god god does not make junk in Psalm 139, David said, In my mother's womb I was uniquely fashioned and created by God. How precious are his thoughts unto me, O God. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand of the sea. Wow. God really loves you. He made you in a very special way. And he wants you to love him in return. For anyone, anyone who is despairing of God's greatest gift of life, anyone considering uh, wanting to end their life, you need immediate help. Uh, if that's you today, reach out for help. Reach out to God. Reach out to a Christian friend. Reach out to a Christian counselor. Reach out to a pastor, but do it now. Now let's look at the solution for isolation. Uh, we have seen 
We have seen the, uh, the dangers of isolation. Now the solution for isolation, it's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with God. What did God give Elijah? God gave him rest and refreshment. He fed him two meals, verses 5 and 6, and then again in 7. God sent him to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, verse 8. You're familiar with the other name for this mountain. What is it? It's Mount Sinai. God met with Moses there and gave him the Ten Commandments, and God manifest himself to Moses. Now he's manifesting himself to Elijah. Look how God did not speak to Elijah in verse 11. There on Mount Sinai. Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's a strong wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now watch. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God spoke. God gave him rest and refreshment. God spoke to him. He spoke in a still, small voice. Don't wait for Sunday uh, to only hear God speak to you. Hear him every day when you open the word of God. Hear him every day when you have a prompting from the Holy Spirit to do good and right. Hear him every day when a Christian song ministers to you. And then God gave him a job to do. What was the job? The job was to be able to go anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu to be king over Israel. God gave him a job, gave him purpose. Uh, God gave us a job, didn't he? He gave us a great commission. We're to share Christ. We're here for a purpose, to be salt and to be light. We're not to be sequestered at home indefinitely. And then God gave him a friend, Elisha. Elisha, verse 16. That's why you need to come back to church because God gives us friends. The solution for isolation is fellowship with God, but also fellowship with a Christian friend. If you come to church and you show yourself friendly, and right now without, you know, hugging and shaking hands, but if you show yourself friendly, you will build godly friendships with some of the greatest people on this globe. God's people here at Valley Forge Baptist. I'm telling you the truth. There are dangers to remain in isolation, and there are blessings to be able to come together with God's people. Why? Because when we come together with God's people, we find strength and power and love, the love of God when we're with God's people. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, Jesus said. Now, I've been asked to, to by several to share a song with you this morning. God has used it just in a few days to greatly touch the hearts of the young and the old, but especially the old. Listen to how it begins. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish... You could see it all made new. Oh, we do. Listen, listen.
No, no, volume. Volume. No, no, keep playing, keep playing. No. It's an eight minute clip. Great job, Megan. Jesus Christ is going to be praised from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, and he's going to end all forms of racism. You want to know what the answer for America is? You just heard it and you just saw it. You want to know the answer to pride and prejudice and race relations? It's a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. You just saw 130 West Coast Baptist College students from 40 different ethnicities and nations set aside 
prejudice to be able to come together to exalt Jesus Christ. Young people loving Jesus Christ is the answer and the hope of America. And if you want a cause to be passionate about, this is it. There are a lot of good things you can march for, but this is by far the best cause. What, what, what did Randy Costner say about our church? My girls have lived in a bubble of the way life is supposed to be. Hey, hey, let's expand the bubble. Let's get more people in the family of God. Let's be passionate about getting people to Jesus Christ because he can change them from the inside. As Christians, we have one supreme job, Glorify God and share Jesus Christ with others. Christian, don't isolate. and Don't miss your calling. And worse, don't give up the best cause to choose a lesser calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise and honor May we love him supremely. He is our creator. He is our savior. And we want to exalt him most of all. And now, Father, I pray if there is one listening, may the spirit of God draw them. If you're not sure that you are going to heaven, bow to Jesus Christ. Receive him now. Pray with me from your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Come into my heart and save me. And now, Christian, would you join me? Oh, God, we pray for our community, our county, our city, our country, our church, that Jesus Christ will be supreme in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This evening, I trust that in the middle of this inconvenience that you are sensing in your heart that you are pleasing the Lord tonight. How have you pleased the Lord? By coming together for worship. My short message tonight begins with a question. What is a church? What is a church? As a pastor, as a community leader, I'm thankful that we have participated in this cooperative effort to be able to flatten the curve of the spread of the virus. And we did. But here's what the rest of the world will never understand about the church. The church is not the church unless it actually assembles. Yes, Christians who have, throughout history have temporarily suspended gatherings for just a short time in an extreme case of a pandemic like a hundred years ago, in a case of open war, in a case of personal sickness. Yet the church has always quickly returned together to gather together. This is what a church is. This is what a church does. The church is an assembly. And so buildings are not required, but assembly is required. Would you say that with me tonight? Buildings are not required, but assembly is required. One more time. Buildings are not required, but assembly is required. I have here an owner's manual from some lawn equipment that I purchased a few years ago. And when I bought this, you know what it said in the box. It said, assembly required. And you know when I opened it up, what it says? It says, assembly required. 
And so what that means in my family is I give it to Scotty and say, okay, Scotty, put it together, put it together. Assembly required. And do you know something? When you open up this book, what does it say? Assembly required. The building isn't absolutely necessary, but assembly is required. And that's why you're here. That's why you're here tonight. You know what God says in His Word, we are to gather together. Now over these last few weeks, my mind has attempted to reconcile uh, the buildings and the assembly. And like other pastors all over the world, we've wrestled with, the number one, the church ought to be lovingly sacrificial sacrificing its freedom in order to protect those who are weakest among us. That's number one. Number two, the church is not the church unless it assembles for worship, fellowship, discipleship, evangelism, and for ministry. And so though some of these things can be done temporarily in solitude and online, Jesus Christ and his apostles never intended for that to be done indefinitely. Our church is not online a permanent solution. The church is required to assemble, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And so this piece of lawn equipment, you know, it doesn't work unless it assembles. It will never become useful unless it is assembled. And that's exactly what we did. If you want to become useful for God, if you want to become useful for your family, for your friends, for your church, for your community, then you want to be able to assemble. Now, if you're sick, if you want to, uh, we want you to stay home and get better. If you're high risk, we want you to be extra cautious. We want to keep you around as long as God would have you here. So what is the church? Well, I think most of us here tonight, uh, you, you know that. That's why you're here. A church is a group of baptized believers that abandon themselves to fulfill the Great Commission. We are a group of baptized believers who have banded ourselves together to fulfill the Great Commission. That is to know Christ, to make Christ known. I want you to notice how Paul describes the church to the Corinthians where he spent a year and a half there in Greece. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll pick it up in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body, the church, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but one body. Drop down to verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You see, a body has many parts, right? Right? You got a foot, a leg, you got an arm, you got a hand, you have a stomach, the body has eyes, a nose, mouth, and ears. But the body does not function independently from the other limbs. If you separate all the limbs and organs, 
All you have are body parts, but no life. Uh, we are useless unless we are united. And here's the best part. Jesus Christ is in charge. Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Why would we gather together tonight? Because we want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate that he is alive and coming again. So what is the church? What is the church? The church is a flock. It is a flock of sheep. We are the sheep. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life to the sheep. So our Savior, he's our chief shepherd. He's my chief shepherd. He's your chief shepherd. He, Jesus Christ, has appointed under shepherds. Me, the associate pastors, the word pastor means shepherd. We are under him. We are to follow him. Just as you are to follow the leadership that he directs through us, Hebrews chapter 13. So the church, uh, the church is a flock. The church is a body. Thirdly, uh, another metaphor, the church is a building. It's a building. Now it's not that building over there. That's not the church. Yes, God owns all of these buildings, but tonight the church is meeting in cars and trucks and SUVs and vans. That's the church. The metaphor goes something like this. Ephesians 2.20, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building stones are fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple unto the Lord. And so yes, the church is a building. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. One more, number four. What is the church? The church is a family. It's a family. Now a family is brought together by birth. A family is brought together by blood, by adoption. We are part of the family. We're part of the household of God, Ephesians 2.19. A family is, well, it's made up of relationships. You've got a father and a mother and a sister and a brother and a son and a daughter. You've got aunts and uncles. You've got grandparents. Even the world understands the value of family. They say, family first. God is our heavenly father. Jesus Christ is the elder brother in the family metaphor. We are to treat everyone like a family member. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, we're to treat the older women as mothers. We're to treat the younger women as sisters. We're to treat the older men as fathers and the younger men as brothers. We are family. A family is made up of relationships. A family is to be able to get along. We are to be able to, to gather together in unity of spirit. As a spiritual family, we are brought together in a relationship with God through spiritual birth, but also by adoption of the Holy Spirit of God. We belong to God. We take his name. This is why we're called Christians. So Paul said to the Philippians, he said that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Every other cause is just a mere shadow compared to the great cause of Jesus Christ. Everything else is a distant second place. And so it's my job and it's your job to keep the focus on Christ, 
to keep the focus on the gospel, to keep the focus on the Great Commission, on eternity. You see, when you die, when your loved ones die, when your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, when they die, what, what matters is not if they were respected or wealthy. What matters is not if they were disrespected or poor. What matters is, are they going to go to heaven when they die for all of eternity? That's what matters, where they will spend eternity. And that's why the church is here. Four metaphors of a church. A church is a body, a church is a flock, a church is a building, a church is a family. Now here's the key. For every one of these to be effective, they need to assemble. They need to assemble. Assembly is required. Look at verse 27 again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now we, ye are the body of Christ. All of you Corinthians together, all of you at Valley Forge Baptist together, you are all the body of Christ and all members in particular, and Jesus Christ is the head. We are a body. Hey folks, we are a body, but without assembly, we are nothing but useless individual body parts. We are a flock, but without assembly, we are scattered sheep lost without a shepherd. We are a building, but without assembly, we're nothing but a pile of stones and a pile of bricks. We need a craftsman to put us together, a builder, a contractor. We are a family, but without assembly, we are separated, we are estranged, we are distant. And so, when an individual Christian ceases to participate in the assembly, he or she remains a Christian, but they are no longer a part of the church. So with other churches across the nation, with other churches across the world, yes, we temporarily suspended worship services together in order to keep people safe, flatten the curve. We did it. We did it. But the government or society or the experts will not be able to hold back the true identity of the church indefinitely. The church will meet. The church will meet in person. Christians, we are persistent people, aren't we? And you're proving it tonight. I mean, you're sitting in a car in a parking lot. We are persistent people. Government leaders, they may one day take our buildings. Politicians may one day take our tax exemption. One day they may take our very lives. But no matter what the cost, the church will meet. We will meet together. Why? Assembly is required. Hey, you're a part of something great. You're a part of something eternal. God's plan of giving him glory by shining his light, by celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're talking about this. My, one of my daughters asked me, Dad, if you could go back in time and kind of like be a fly in the wall, what would you, what would you like to see in the Bible? Well, the two events that came to my mind were the creation of the world, when God put this dirt together and he breathed into that clump of 
of clay and man became a living soul. And secondly, in the garden tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning. And do you know God identified those two events as being very important? So for 4,000 years, God's people, they worshiped on Saturday, the Sabbath, to celebrate, to honor God as creator, made the world in six days, rested on the seventh. But when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, something greater and more important than the creation of this beautiful world happened. The Son of God, the Savior of all mankind, came back to life. He came back to life, and so we celebrate on Sunday. You're part of that, and we're part of spreading that good news to others. So thank you. Thank you for your patience to be out, be a part of something special. Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to send you home with some cards, and we're going to give glory to our wonderful Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time we've had to gather together in a most unusual way but for your glory. Thank you for Jesus who died for us and rose again. Thank you that we can exalt him, that in all things he might have the preeminence, even in an outdoor drive-in service, Jesus is exalted. Now, Father, I pray you'll give us creative ways that we can be salt and light, plant seeds, plow water, and see you bring forth the gospel to other people. I thank you for your people who are a part of Valley Forge Baptist. What they mean to me and Jody and all the pastors and all the leadership, all the deacons, thank you, God, for faithful, loving, godly members who want to use their life for your glory. Bless now, this week as we give it to you, bless our regathering plan that we might be unified in the Holy Spirit around the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray.